On this episode of In This Case, we are catching up with Martina McIsaac, Region Head and CEO of Hilti North America. From leading the team through a global pandemic to addressing key inclusion topics, this conversation's a fun one, so let's get started. Welcome to In This Case, a podcast from Hilti that goes behind the scenes at one of the most iconic brands in the world of construction. We'll talk to the people who make it all happen and ask them who, how, what if, and of course, why. Here's your host, Hallie Barham. Hello, Martina. Thank you for joining me today. Oh, I'm having a fantastic day today. It's sunny, beautiful weekend. I'm vaccinated. There is so much good news in the company. The last few weeks, it's just been like my feet don't touch the ground. Can you tell me where you went to university, what you studied, and kind of what your early career looked like? Sure. So I went to the University of Western Ontario, which is in London, um, Ontario, so a little bit southwest of Toronto. That's where the Ivy Business School is. And I majored in economics, which I hated, completely hated. So it's possible today that I can read the Financial Times and understand it, but it's not something that I ever really used And I I don't know why, looking back, I didn't change my major, but at the time I didn't think that was possible. So I came out of school with a degree in economics and didn't know exactly what to do with it. So I wound up actually taking a job during the summers while I was in school. I had worked at the House of Commons as a uh, communications assistant to the Secretary of State and to a couple of members of Parliament. So this is in Ottawa in Canada. And so I took a job as a speechwriter at the House of Commons because I needed a job. That's really cool. From what I've heard, you then ended up at a Fortune 200 global industrial powerhouse company. So what did you do there and where did you live at that time? Yeah. So I graduated with an international MBA and Avery Dennison was the company that I joined and they had a program that they called Ventures and International. And essentially it was a team of people who were willing to be deployed anywhere in the world, sort of on a moment's notice uh, for special projects primarily around business development and mergers and acquisitions. And so it's a funny story, actually. So I reported for work on uh, the 4th of June, and I had moved my whole world to Cleveland, Ohio, where they were based. And the day that I got there, I walked into the lobby and I met the vice president who had hired me. And he said to me, what flight are you on? And I said, are you kidding? What are you talking about? And he said, uh, well, you're going to Chile, right? And so there was like a a complete disconnect. I had moved to Cleveland and I really should have been moving to Chile. So it was about, it was a little over seven years in total of a lot of moves through Latin America. That's really interesting. At one point, I know you made a decision to leave Avery Dennison and stay at home with your children. What was that like? And what did you learn from those experiences? So what happened with my career, my husband and I both worked for the same company and they had been incredibly generous and supportive to try to accommodate the two careers. But we had reached a place where we both were running global businesses. We had international travel requirements and it just wasn't possible. And so I myself was feeling a lot of guilt, you know, that I wasn't home and present with my children. And I just felt that this wasn't the kind of parent that I wanted to be. And so together we chose that I would actually step out of the workforce. So it made a whole lot of sense on paper. It was a lot harder to do in person because obviously you build a career over a long period of time. And I remember 
my last day was the Friday before Labor Day weekend. And then after Labor Day weekend, I took my son to school and I went in to fill his school forms in, in the office. And there was a blank for mother's occupation and I had to leave it blank. And I just broke down crying in the office. Like I was, the poor office staff was just completely bewildered. They didn't know what to do with me. And I just could not stop sobbing because it's, it's like a grief process that you kind of go through when you give that up. And so for a couple of years, my daughter was an infant. So I was very busy. You know, I was the room mom. I volunteered at my church. I did things in the community. And then I decided I needed to do a little bit more. And so we actually bought a business. There was basically a tutoring business that was going out of business. So they did um, exam prep for college and they worked with some different community organizations for people who were going first time to college. And so we bought it. And so then I started working a little bit there and I got involved in the communities. And then one day I was driving my kids to school and my neighbor's kids to school because we used to carpool. And I remember this vividly because somebody had a science project. I don't know who it was, but somebody had a praying mantis in a jar with a lid on it. And of course, in the back of my SUV, somebody decided it would be good to take the lid off the jar. And so I'm driving down the highway, screaming at the top of my lungs, don't take the lid off the praying mantis. And I just realized in my head, it just popped into my head, like there's more for you to do. Like it was like this really uncomfortable disturbing thought of this is not the end. Like this is good and you that you did this, but it's time now to go back. And I didn't want to think that. Like I had finally got myself to a good place and I didn't want to think that. But I have a mentor who I've worked with for 20 years and she had told me, take this time off, that's fine, but don't go longer than five years without making a conscious decision as to what you're going to do because your skills will start to get obsolete and you won't have as many choices. So it's fine if you decide to stay home forever, but at five years, at least make a decision. And I was coming on to four years at that point. So I kind of digested and sat on it for about three months. And then I finally sat down with my husband and I said, Hey, I think I need to, I need to do something else. And he said, oh, thank God, because I've been thinking I want to step out of the corporate world. But he couldn't do that because of what I was giving up. So we were both kind of tiptoeing around each other. So he actually decided to, decided to stay home with our kids. And he does consulting, but on his own terms and his own time. And I went back to the corporate world. And so that's how I came back to work, to Hilti. I imagine you probably got a call from a consultant and they mentioned a company called Hilti. What was your experience with construction companies at that time? Yeah, so I knew nothing at all about construction and I I didn't know anything about Hilti. And I'll tell you what happened was I was in the middle of this job search and my whole family lives in southwestern Ontario. So I had several offers. We were still we we had moved back eventually to Cleveland, Ohio, and I had several offers in the Cleveland, Ohio area for large industrial companies like the one I had been at before. And I was literally just about to sign on the dotted line with one and my mentors on the board of directors of that company. So it made all the sense in the world. And then I get this email from a recruiter that I knew, and what caught my eye was not that it was Hilti, was that it was Toronto. And so my husband and I are like, oh, well, maybe we should, if it's a job in Toronto, maybe we should think about it because, you know, the kids could be close to their grandparents. And, and we almost didn't take the interview because literally I had I had all but committed that I was going to join this other company. And so I said, well, what could it hurt? I'll fly down to Tulsa. And the funny thing was, it took me three tries to get there. For anybody who used to, who flies to Tulsa, 
Two times I made it from Cleveland to Chicago, sat all day in Chicago with every flight to Tulsa canceled and then had to turn around and come back. So like I I was like, this is not, this is never going to work. But finally I got to Tulsa and I sat down with Carrie Everett. Carrie Everett served as the region head and CEO of Hilti North America until his retirement in 2017. And the most amazing thing, you know, I asked him, what would it take to be successful at Hilti? What kind of people are successful at Hilti? And, you know, the other CEO that I had been talking to about joining his company, he said to me, you know, if you display a consistent commitment to earnings per share, you'll do very well in this company, which is pretty much a public company way of thinking, right? You make your numbers and you win. (laughs) And so I asked the question to Carrie more out of routine than expecting him to say anything different than that. And he looked me dead in the eye and he said, if your family and your church have done a good job with you, you will be very successful at Hilti. And I was flabbergasted. I was like, what kind of what? You know, what? And we had a great conversation. You know, Carrie had had been managing Latin America during some crisis years that I had been there too. We had a lot in common. And I just loved the guy, you know, and I thought I have to work for this man. So I called my husband and I said, I have to work for this man. And uh, he's like really quiet. And he says, did you tell them you've only been in Home Depot twice in your life? And if you were only there to buy paint, it doesn't count. But the thing is, what Carrie told me was he said, the priority is for you to learn the what, learn what we do. And so Hilti gave me a period of time. I started in August and I did not actually take over in Toronto until January. And I made it complete commitment that I was going to learn. I bought a book on construction management. I read it on the plane from Cleveland to Tulsa and Tulsa to Cleveland every week while I was commuting. And the fact is our customers are real people. That's what I think I love about the industry so much is when I work in specialty chemicals, you're negotiating with huge companies and the person that you're talking to represents the company, but it's it's not the same. And, and you, you spend months talking about quarters of pennies or eighths of pennies, right? And, and now with our customers, they're the real people doing the real work. And they were so good at the beginning, like to explain if you asked a question. And so anyway, so that's how I got through not knowing anything about construction. Okay. So thinking back into 2020, your first year as CEO, COVID hits, and then the unfortunate incident where George Floyd was killed by a police officer which brought to light the whole systemic racism problem we have in the United States especially. Just a couple of days after this, you addressed all North American team members, made public statements, and organized a very emotional team talk. What were your thoughts for Hilti to respond so publicly and so quickly? We do have this strong commitment to diversity and inclusion. But diversity and inclusion, if it's clean and safe, and we don't actually address tough issues. It's not real, right? And, you know, for me, what was the most staggering thing about that weekend and then listening to stories and reading and everything leading up to the team talk is I had always thought that I understood what being a minority was because I've always been a minority professionally, right? I've always been the single woman in the room or the, you know, one time I even worked in a building where there wasn't even a women's bathroom because I was the only woman there and they didn't bother to build one, right? So I thought that I understood that. And so I thought I could be an advocate and a representative for inclusion. And and what I realized is that I, I wasn't aware of so many things that were happening and there were so many 
levels to this conversation that we simply were not having. And race is one of them. I think our goal should always be to build a better future. And and clearly there were things that we all learned through the course of those events that we could do more and we could do more as a company and as a community of healthy people. And then I wanted our team members of color to know that we realized it, that we had been talking about diversity and inclusion for nearly six years at that point, and we had never said the word race. And we had never said, you know, hey, do our Black team members have the same support that they need? And honestly, let's have that conversation because inclusion is not real unless it's for everybody. So it was a big learning process for me and continues to be. And I'm proud of the work of the affinity groups. And I'm super proud of the belongingness task force because that was the point. It was not about making a political statement. It was about the fact that we could not claim belongingness for all unless we addressed it. Yeah, that's Does really that make great. Sense? Totally. So what do you think has been the biggest learning and the biggest success coming out of the affinity groups that have since launched at the beginning of the year? By the way, I have nothing but admiration for the Belongingness Task Force because they waded through some really raw emotions and situations, and they came up with a great set of recommendations. And one amazing thing was a lot of their recommendations, which is what we always say were good for everyone, right? They had nothing to do with the particular, you know, a particular affinity group. We changed the dress code back to where everybody felt comfortable, right? We stopped room sharing, which has been a pain in the, you know, for everybody for a long time. So it's what we've always said. When you when you take the time to listen to a group that's underrepresented, what usually makes the workplace good for them actually makes the workplace good for everyone. And they are just more aware of where the gaps are. And by listening to them and they, with them having the courage to bring them forward, we can make it better for everyone. That's, that's the story of parental leave, right? Parental leave was because women were in the workforce and they were having babies. But I don't think there's a dad in Hilti who isn't grateful that they can take time off. So that's our goal. So I think the belongingness task force first was just to show us that we could take some risk, that we could challenge some paradigms, that we could change some policies that have been around for a long time, and the sky would not fall. And I'm grateful for them for pushing us in that direction. Now, the affinity groups have taken this on, and and what they're doing is educating us, right? They're making it part of our fabric and part of our conversation in a way that it wasn't before. And I think that's part of development. You know, we offered, we promised development to all of our team members, right? And usually we think very one-dimensionally about development, which is our career development and, and the skills that you need to take the next step. But this is about developing as a human, being exposed to different perspectives. What you choose to take away from them is that is yours to do, right? But to give time and space and resources within the workplace to make those learnings available to everyone, that's what I'm the most proud of right now. That's fantastic. Okay, so before we wrap up and move into our rapid fire segment, I want to ask you, what are you most excited about for the future of Hilti? What I'm excited about, it's the performance side of caring and performing, right? We, What I love about Hilti is that it's a family company and it brings all those great things along with it. But we continuously seek the edge of development. You know, we want to push harder and harder. And I think the the acceptance and understanding that the future is not about a drill that drills faster on a job site, although we will always have those, right? It's really how we can transform the way customers 
perform their work and be part of this technology revolution that's happening in construction, that I think for me is the most exciting because the fact that Hilti is willing to reinvent itself, I think that's, you know, that's what makes us great is that, you know, what we used to make money on, we're not depending on for the future. We're willing to reimagine. And I think that's really exciting. Could not agree more. Up next, something we like to call our rapid fire round. What is your favorite city in the world and why? Probably Amsterdam. You know, my husband Albert is from the Netherlands and we spend a lot of time in Amsterdam, but it's always special time. It's always holiday time or something like that. And probably we will retire there in some form. So probably Amsterdam. What one character trait do you admire in people? I admire lots of things. I admire determination. I admire grit. You know, now that we've read this book about grit, I think that people that get up every morning and keep at it, that's what I admire the most. What is the best piece of advice you have ever received? Say yes to everything. If you could pick one superpower, what would it be? Maybe flying. And then lastly, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt most? If I weren't doing this, I would be a Montessori guide. Really? Yeah. That's really cool. I um. I think there's something about, people have heard me use the word, purposeful work, right? When you have purposeful work, you're, you're content, you're happy, you're focused, you're inspired. And that's, for me, the foundation of, of Montessori learning, when you can give that to ch- children at the beginning of their lives, and then they build habits for later. Thank you for listening to this episode of In This Case. I want to give a really special thanks to Martina for sitting down with us for this episode. And thank you for listening today. If you'd like to listen to any other episodes, please click the links in our SoundCloud. I'm Hallie Barham. Talk to you later. In This Case is a production of Hilti North America. To give us feedback, ask a question, or share an idea for a future podcast, email HiltiDirect at Hilti.com.